Welcome to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we bring in entrepreneurs who have created online businesses and improved their lifestyles. Here's your host, Rohit Malhotra. Hi everyone, I'm Rohit from Life Self Mastery and today I'm expected to have Justin Tower, who's a Chicago designer, educated athlete. School of Art Institute of Chicago and the Vice President of User Experience and Development at T-Swift, with Joseph Merlin Frockman and user advocacy claiming equal parts of his credit card. He's crafted digital experiences for clients like Sony, Chase, IBM, and the, and the U.S. Department of Energy. His passion is creative work, uh, workspaces and cultures, and he focuses on increasing creative productivity as well as workplace retention with his new book, Cultivating a Creative Culture. A huge thank you to Angel Powerson for connecting Justin for this episode. Welcome to the show, man. Hey, Rohit. Great to be here. Awesome. So, um, so you know, you uh, I, I saw an article which is resetting agency culture. Uh, you know, what made you write that article, and uh, then you know, what made you write your new book? Um, yeah, actually, the uh, the first point you made is directly related to why I wrote the book. So. Uh, resetting agency culture, I wrote for a list apart, which is a, a big um, uh, easing, I guess, if you, uh, if you will, uh, within the web design and UX uh, community. And at that time, uh, when I wrote that article, uh, it was that article is through the lens of agency specifically, and I was feeling um, uh, pretty burned out about uh, the inherent um, issues with agency culture, and that is to say. Uh, people being, uh, people's value to the organization uh, being, you know, who's the last one out the door or, you know, just people in the organization uh, specifically being, you know, more viewed as a, a name on a spreadsheet rather than a human being coming into the office and bringing their, you know, their abilities and, and their passion into the workplace. So, uh, after having been in the agency sector for a good stretch, uh, that kind of fueled me to write that article. And the feedback I received was um, more agnostic to uh, business or agency specifically and came from all kinds of um, industries. I, I, got, I got feedback from newspaper, people in newspaper, people in, in uh, television, people in radio. Uh, you know, my, my takeaway from that is that this was less about the agency experience and more about the human experience. Um, which is why, you know, I felt this was something bigger than that article. So that, that's what led me to write uh, Cultivating Creative Culture, which is um, agnostic uh, to uh, business. It's, it's not agency specific at all. Um, it's, it's written a little more for designers and developers, but uh, that said, the takeaway is about having a human-centered workplace and empathy being at the core of everything. That should resonate, you know, uh, uh, agnostic of what your role or position is. No, absolutely, you know, you spend the most time with, with other people in, in the work, uh, workplace. Uh, so, you know, my, my question is, what is the number one problem in workplace culture today? And, and, you know, what is the best way to fix this problem? That's a, that's actually a great question. I would say the number one problem is broadly a lack of a human-centered approach. And I, I say human-centered because, you know, that's, that's, that's my passion and that's what my, my, my role is right now, human-centered design and development. But most often, it is not about people first in business. It's about product launch first, or it's about the almighty dollar first. Uh, and these things are um, symptomatic or indicative of a core issue of lack of empathy in the workplace. And that could be, you know, if, if someone, uh, like I said, it, it, the value of someone uh, at, a, at a, an agency, I said before, is, is, is who is the last person out the door. 
the empathy there is just completely missing because what if someone has to pick up their child? What if someone has to take care of a relative at home or something like that? And the simple uh, delineation or the simple view of a human being as a human being about an individual being at the forefront of everything is missing in so many businesses. Uh, you could see this in tech, in big tech. You could see this in, in you know, agencies, as I said. You could see this uh, industry-wide, uh, agnostic of design completely, which is, of course, where I come from. So the number one problem really is just viewing people as people and having empathy at the core of, of business decisions uh, rather, than, rather than the almighty dollar fueling everything or just speed to market uh, on launch. Okay. And, and uh, what are your suggestions on how to encourage empathy in creative work environments? Because, uh, you know, in agencies or in other corporates, uh, you, you have that pressure from clients from, because, you know, uh, profit making uh, is, is what, uh, you know, most of the businesses focus on. So, um, so you know, how, how do you encourage empathy? Really, that starts at the top and uh, it trickles down. I mean, leaders uh, need to set the example here. I mean, you know, People view how, how leaders um, uh, treat the employees or treat their, their teammates, and that sets the tone for everything. It, it's really compassion by example. So uh, encouraging empathy in, in a workplace environment you know, needs to start at the top. And, and policies, uh, as defined by the, the business stakeholders, like I said, is, is it flexible work time? Is it having... Uh, nooks around the office space that encourage people to what I like to say is pause with intent. And that is not to say to, you know, th there are certainly, you know, perks in the office, like, a, a, you know, a, a PlayStation or an Xbox or a pinball machine or, you know, those are kind of, um, those are kind of what I, I, they're nice to have, but they're at the end of the day, they're kind of perks without value. It's good to blow off steam, but areas around the office where people can pause and maybe around, around a coffee machine and talk about, just communicate with someone as a human being and ask, you know, not only uh, how, is, how is work going, but, you know, how, how, how are you doing today? How, how, how is family? How, how are you feeling? Uh, and not have someone looking over at you and, and tapping on their watch and, and you know, kind of twisting their head and giving you uh, the stink eye about, you know, if you have time to talk, why don't you have the time to work? That all comes down from the top about setting those, having those spaces readily available around the office, uh, making sure time not at your desk isn't judged. Everyone needs time to, you know, diffuse or have, have a space around the office where they can openly explore uh, creativity or collaboration um, away from uh, the project capacity. We know, you know, project work keeps the lights on, but also a happy and supported employee also makes for a stellar uh, human-centered product. So, uh, really, uh, you know, it's kind of a long-winded answer, but the, the, the bottom line on top is that this starts at the top with leadership and it trickles down from there. Okay. Um, so, you know, uh, just in 2018 was, was a pivotal moment uh, with the Me Too uh, movement uh, in US and in countries like India and, and, and other, other, you know, uh, uh, Asian and European countries and worldwide. So, so you know, how, how can employees and, uh, you know, uh, can approach management uh, to make vital work, uh, workplace uh, changes? Well, management needs to make themselves approachable uh, in the first place. This has to be a known quantity. Uh, if someone is not approachable, if corporate policy is not approachable, people will not feel uh, supported to, to, you know, approach leadership if, if, if there is an issue in that capacity. Um, so, you know, many of these answers are going to come back to leadership and, you know, leadership uh, makes or breaks uh, situations like this. Uh, is, is this in the handbook? Is this a known quantity when someone is hired? 
do they feel supported? Uh, do the employees feel supported in the office at all times? Uh, if there are any instances uh, of, you know, uh, harassment or any, anything in that capacity, do employees feel the, the open door to have someone genuinely empathetically support them at that point? Um, uh, so all these policies have to be baked into the culture and baked into, I'll say that I'm air quoting my finger, baked into the handbook and the DNA of the organization uh, straight from the get-go. I mean, you, there's, there's no, uh, there's no um, waffling in this in any capacity. Um, so, um, you know, that's my answer there. Em empathy and, and support has to be baked in throughout the organization. Okay. And, uh, and, you know, initially, uh, I mean, we, we have a lot of uh, listeners who are running their own businesses and uh, they're trying to set their own uh, cultures. You know, how to build teams and cultivate cultures within organizations so that uh, when, uh, when the company really scales up, uh, they have the right cultures and, uh, you know, right, right sort of people who, who are joining them. Uh, do you recommend a playbook uh, or, or set of values to be decided uh, when the company is just starting out? Uh, that's, uh, I mean, just as, uh, you know, a new business has to put together a business plan. I mean, you have to have your, your culture plan in place as well. This is, some, this is something that is so often a misstep um, when, you know, people by and large are starting businesses because, you know, they, they want to go into a place that is a good place to work. And, and oftentimes those businesses in a startup capacity lose their way as, as success as success tastes hold or as, as employees are rapidly uh, hired, that just falls by the wayside. And that needs to be as important as the business plan um, throughout. So it, when, when an agency or a business is, you know, 10, 15 people, clearly it's easier at that point to uh, make sure uh, people are taken care of or you can just, you know, look 20 feet across the room and, and see uh, how someone's doing. Uh, as businesses scale or scale quickly, or if you're joining a business that is 5,000, 20,000, 100,000 people, uh, again, this needs to, you'll see many businesses now uh, in tech and, and elsewhere that have, you know, VP of, of culture or C-level culture people because they recognize that someone needs to consistently at the top uh, carry the culture through and that needs to be their, their sole role and, and making sure people are engaged and supported uh, in a human centered empathetic fashion. So uh, I guess my advice there would be never to let culture uh, fall through the cracks. Uh, if you're a five person or two person startup or if you're a 500 or 10,000 person business, this needs to be as important as the business plan and the bottom line. Okay. Um, so, you know, I, I, was, I was reading the article uh, that you've written and you've talked about uh, Yelp, Google, and there's a few other companies who've uh, created the, the right sort of environment. But, you know, what motivates people to produce their, their best work? Are they, are they looking for recognition, money, uh, reward? Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Well, a lot of businesses in tech, and I, I kind of intimated this uh, earlier, um, you know, have, have perks that are designed to, um, on paper, they look appealing. And, you know, uh, like there's the sleep pods that, you know, Google is, is a user of uh, that are kind of, you know, they're famous for where if you, if, you know, you're having a long day, you can kind of go and in, in, in this futuristic uh, little, uh, uh, you know, sensory chamber and, and get some rest. And, it looks great. It looks great. It sounds, it's, it looks cool. It sounds cool. And it sounds like a cool perk or if, you know, some businesses have a perk where if you're working after eight or nine o'clock, we'll pay for your cab home or we'll send a cleaning service to your house. And, and, you know, on paper, that sounds great. You know, they're looking out for me, but if you dig deeper, 
you realize these air quotes perks are designed to keep you at the office longer or to, um, you know, if everything's here, why, why go home? Or, you know, you're sacrificing your, your, uh, your life and your, uh, your relationships and your uh, ability to just have a, a life outside of work uh, completely. At, at that point. And some people are about that. Some people are, and I'm not, I'm not take, uh, taking a dig at that at all. Some people are very much defined by their work and that is how they, that is what they're all about. And if that's, that's where you uh, obtain your sense of happiness, you know, more, more power to you. But many people, um, uh, many people need to have a life uh, outside of uh, a work and they need to have time to defuse outside of a corporate environment. And, 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 Perks aside, um, you know, that's something when you're looking at joining a new, a new business or a new sector or a new role in totality, just look deeper at, at those perks uh, that, that look, you know, good on paper or are sold really well uh, by recruiting uh, when you're talking to a new business because there might be something, you know, a little more, um, uh, I don't want to say nefarious, but it might just be more indicative of, of unhealthy behaviors that are being established uh, in the DNA of the culture. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I'm, uh, uh, my next question, how do you, how do you best indulge in and develop your own creativity? Yeah, that, that's a timely one for me. So I just had um, a newborn um, that, that's five weeks old. Oh, thank you. Five weeks old at this point. So um, my answer here is, is intrinsically tied into that and in that, Choosing your moments is is what it's all about. So I have, you know, I, I'm at the office all day, and I come home, and then, um, you know, it's uh, I have a toddler and, and a newborn. It's taking care of them, and it's it's supporting my wife. And um, you know, once once there's time to breathe, it's you know, it's nine o'clock, and and yeah. you're you're beat. And then at that point, it's what do I do here? Do I blow off some steam and play a video game? Do I read a book? Do I uh, do some writing? Do I do some design? And you just have to, you know, you can be prescriptive about that in a sense and have a calendar and say, Monday is video game day. Tuesday is drawing day. But really, you just have to respect where you are at on a given day and what, what your mind and body need at that point. And uh, you can't judge yourself too much. I'm, I'm currently writing this, the second edition of my book, and I, I have a calendar that I'm working against. But I'll tell you, some days I, I just don't have it. I, I, I sit, I, I know I need, I need to write and I sit at the screen after, when it's like nine, ten o'clock after a day like that and it's just not happening. And I might get two words in and, and you know, it's a wasted evening at that point. So uh, really just respecting where you're at and I, I talk about uh, humility uh, a lot in my book um, in an in a, in a introspective sense as, as well as uh, being receptive of, of other people's humility. And it's being, uh, you know, humble about respecting where you're at or where your, your mind is at at that given point and just kind of going with the flow. So my, my creativity, uh, uh, I guess, is, is a little more confined these days when I, when I have those outlets. But um, I think it's, it's key uh, if you're working in, a, I'll say, a design setting or an agency setting, not to let your creative outlet be completely defined by your work by the deliverables, by when you come in in the morning, the, the papers that might be on your desk saying, this has to go out by in a day. If you define your creativity in a, in a sense like that, you're going to burn out and you're going to lose that passion. And that's the most precious thing in the world. So always having an outlet um, to explore your creativity or take or pause with intent, but you just have to be respectful if, you're, if your moments are finite, uh, what you actually do with them. Okay. And I, I hope, you know, eating a bowl of cereal also helps uh, every night. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> 
Awesome. So, um, so you know, you've been into user experience and UX. Now, so, so, uh, you know, if somebody wants to learn more about how to create a, a create create a design for the products. Uh, you know, that, yeah. What is the best way to learn about it, and how how did how did you learn through it? Well, me personally, I, uh, I, when I was in art school, it was kind of just when uh, being a web designer, um, this is going to date me, is when being a web designer was just starting to manifest as a career. And you would say to your, your parents, I'm going to be a web designer. And they would say, what the heck is that? So I went to uh, the School of the Art Institute and I have a formal um, training in visual communication or graphic design. But my, my curiosity uh, when I was there was always in tech and, um, and, and, you know, just like starting to build web pages was something that was just kind of emerging or solidifying, I should say. So I, I self-taught myself uh, code um, or how to, how to you know, program, uh, do HTML um, when I was at their school, the Art Institute. And um, that absolutely fascinated me, the marriage of design and code and the digital landscape. So um, I have a, you know, my, my formal training is in graphic design and typography and visual communication. Um, and then my interest was in tech. Uh, so I moved to the East Coast right after the Art Institute, and um, I took a job with uh, an internet magazine called Interface Monthly uh, in, in Portland, Maine, and I became their first web designer, and I built their first website, and I also did layout for the magazine um, and did some illustration for the magazine. Um, and then just from there, uh, I, I just, you know, the, the, my, the digital landscape absolutely fascinated me, and, and uh code as art and design as art and visual communication as art, the marriage of those three things um, has kind of fueled me in my career. So um, things are a little different now. That was, you know, 20 years ago. And now there's uh, copious amounts of um, uh, online e-zines and uh, conferences and UX boot camps. And, you know, I don't want to be too prescriptive in saying what the best way for anyone is to approach, you know, people, uh, some people when they uh, enroll in a UX boot camp, they're doing that after, after work or they're doing that after they uh, drop their kids off or uh, that works for them. Or some people, um, you know, are self-taught and they go to conferences and they just read online or, or you know, focus on social media that works for them. Uh, for me, uh, that, that formal design education and then just having an interest in tech that worked for me. So there are, there are numerous routes to pursue there. Uh, to get into UX, um, for me, the, uh, the, the, I call it skeletal design, uh, des uh, you know, placement uh, without visual design applied to it for UX and wireframing. I remember when you, when you couldn't even bill, bill a client for that because you would present this as a deliverable and a client would say, you know, what is this? This is boxes on a, on a page. And then, you know, we were thinking, can we, can we bill them for this? Can we charge for this? And now it's like, of course you do. Like, that's a formal part of the process. And then it was can we, you know, can we interview the client and, and like, you know, can we bill for that? Like we want to figure out what we're doing before we go into Photoshop. And now it's like, of course, as part of a human centered design process, you go through discovery and you do interviews and you do research. Of course, you're going to do that. So seeing the industry evolve over, you know, 20, 25 years, it's, it's been absolutely fascinating. And I think having an endless curiosity is in that sense, uh, agnostic of what route you pursue is always going to be your, you know, to your benefit. Interesting. And do you have any books you can suggest for uh, UX user, uh, uh, you know, design? Um, yes, I do. I, I think you could never go wrong with the design of everyday things. Uh, Don Norman, uh, that, that is a fantastic read that I've gone back to uh, time and time again. Um, just, 
I can't I can't say enough about it. It's it's kind of a a, a must read uh, in in design or human centered design or user experience. It's 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 more dealing with tangible objects, if you will, but just uh, the common sense uh, human centered approach to how things work and how people interact with X. Uh, I think that that's a must read. And then uh, just something I had read uh, fairly recently, uh, Fusion by uh, Denise Leone is, is more about uh, the fusion between uh, brand and culture and how they're uh, inseparable, more or less. They're synonymous. Um, so that, that was a good read, and that's something uh, I would also recommend. Okay. Uh, let's get back to the work culture. So, you know, uh, who do you think, which of the companies have the best uh, work cultures? Well, these days it's pretty easy to, um, you know, if you're looking for a business uh, or a larger brand that you want to join um, and just taking a look, where does culture or our people uh, fall in their navigation or do they have like a life at X company page where you can look and, and instantly see, uh, you know, when somebody comes in from the nine to five, what is a given day like? Um, uh, you know, I think Shopify does a, a tremendous job uh, with with things like I just cited about how they value their people and how they um, their culture isn't just something they uh, hashtag on Twitter because it sounds good. You know, they they have a tremendously empathetic and, and human centered uh, culture. Um, HubSpot also comes to mind. Um, they published a document called the culture code. I, I think it has like something like 4 million views and it's an ever evolving document and they, they feature that on their website and their culture is absolutely intrinsic to their pillars and who they are and, and, and what they represent. So uh, those are just a couple of, that come to mind. But you know, if you look at a business and are, you click on about and it's three links with C-level staff and nothing about the people or nothing about those who are actually producing the work or nothing about the culture, I think that's, that's, a, that's a warning sign. Okay. Um, but, but why do you think you know, the, a lot of these tech companies are focusing on culture? Do you think there are other, uh, other financial, uh, you know, financial companies or other, other companies in different uh, industries which also focus on culture? Or is it uh, just because you've been into tech that you think that more tech companies with great work culture? Well, that's certainly, you know, my, um, my comfort zone because, you know, uh, that's, that's where I've operated and that's where I come from. But I mean, uh, any business, any business, manufacturing, uh, electronics, tech, design, uh, textiles, wh whatever. I mean, it, they have to, you know, again, this seems like the most uh, intuitive thing, but they, they have to focus on culture again because it all comes down to empathy and treating the most formative lesson that we get as, as, as kids. Treat others the way you want to be treated. It all comes down to that. Uh, so if it's, if it's a large manufacturing company, is it, is it flex time? Is it uh, tremendous healthcare benefits? Is it, like I said, these areas around the office where people can step away from the manufacturing floor for a little bit and defuse without being judged um, you know, so my, my lens through which I'm talking, uh, mostly is design and tech again, because that's, that's kind of my home base, but these, these tenants, I'll say human centered over and over, over again, need to be in the DNA of, of business period, because at the end of the day, it's the people who are producing the work or designing this product or, you know, toil, toiling away with their hands, uh, to, to build, uh, something and the, people need to be supported and advocated for and empathetically supported, bottom line. 
No, absolutely. The, the next generation of workers, the millennials and Gen Zs, are, they're, they're very particular about what products to buy and what, which company they want to work in. So, uh, so yes, you're absolutely right. The corporates need to be a little more careful about, uh, about the culture. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. So what is the number one thing you hope readers take away from your book? Uh, I might sound a little bit like a broken record here, but truly it is, um, well, I suppose it's two things. One, don't settle. Uh, do not settle for a business that is not supportive of you and your passion and, and your, yourself as an individual and a human being, because there are businesses out there. And I, I just kind of you know, talked earlier about how to identify them. Uh, if you're browsing around online, there are businesses out there who are doing it right. And they are out there. And I'm not saying, you know, just quit your job and find it. Uh, I, I, I've done it a couple of times in my career and it's, it's very stressful because you have to pay the bills and you have to have food on the table. I mean, we, we all get that. But don't settle at the end of the day because, uh, you know, your passion is too precious to be extinguished by unhealthy business culture and leaderships that don't support you. Uh, the other thing is uh, empathy ne- needs to be at the core of, of all interactions. And I, I talk about that uh, ad nauseum in my book. Um, and I talk about it in the design sector. I talk about it with a fellow who uh, runs a pizzeria and is also a TEDx speaker because of exactly that, how he runs his business in a transparent, empathetic, supportive uh, fashion. Um, you know, so that has to be baked into the DNA of, of how you uh, operate and, and treat people. Everyone is an individual. Everyone is you know, just trying to do the right thing. And, and you know, some people have good days and some people have bad days and, and not immediately judging or, um, you know, office politics are the, uh, kind of the most uh, cancerous thing alongside ego. Um, so operating in an empathetic, humble, human-centered fashion and treating, you know, your fellow human being decently, that, that's really what it's all about. Got it. Uh, so uh, just let's quickly do the top three. What's your favorite business book? What's a what business book? I'm sorry. What's your favorite business book? My favorite business book. I'm going to give you the same answer that I did before. Uh, Design of everything, everyday things. Uh, absolutely. I, 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 I can't come back. It's not a, a formal design book per se, but these examples and, and just uh, human centered focus is, is kind of at the core of everything. And that really defines uh, who I am. So I'm going to give you the same answer there. Okay. Uh, and if you, if you go back in time, when you start working on your, on your, on your book, what is the one thing you, you would have focused on? Oh boy, that's, that's a great question. Uh, I was, the first time I wrote this book, I was, I was a novice and um, I knew at the core of what I was writing, human-centered um, approach to design, human-centered approach to, to uh, and a human-centered approach to culture uh, were really the, the core things. And in the first edition of my book, um, I think I tackled that uh, successfully. And the second edition is going to take that a step further and, and really make those correlations between uh, human-centered design uh, in, in process and also human-centered focus uh, back to people in the office and back to how are those office dynamics. So, um, after publishing the book and, and you know, speaking uh, at places uh, around the world and more so this year and having these, these podcast interviews, um, I, I've gained, you know, always in a, in a, a sense of humility and, and seeking to learn and being a student of my craft and just having these dialogues with people. I've, I've learned a lot more and gained uh, much more uh, experience about making that uh, correlation uh, between human-centered uh, design process and human-centered interaction. So, um, 
you know, I would have hoped I, I nailed that in the first book. I think the, the second edition is, is going to flush that out much more in an example and design and approach. And I'm, I'm really excited to be working on that in the, uh, you know, 15 minutes I have a night when my, my son isn't crying. <laughs> okay. Got it. And uh, do you have any favorite online tools? Example, Gmail, Slack, Trello? Um, yeah, you know, I, I was just thinking of the list that you cited and we kind of use all for, for various reasons, uh, Slack for, uh, communication. We use Trello for, um, of course, project and, uh, allocation tracking in some sense. Um, you know, and, and it, when you're, you ask a designer that question, uh, we're always going to be a little, uh, <laughs> snobbish about critiquing the UX or what could be improved. And I'm, I'm not going to get into that too much, but those kind of collaboration tools are, are phenomenal. Uh, you know, Slack and, and Trello. And, um, we always, uh, I have, I have a meeting, um, we have typical standups, of course. I have a meeting called Creative Inspiration Wednesday where the team pauses, my entire team pauses on Wednesday and we bring in something that inspired us. Sometimes people bring in different tools and say, what if we try this? And we'll give something a try and see if it sticks or doesn't. Um, so we're always kind of uh, nimble in that sense and, and always, you know, kind of geeks about new products. Okay. And uh, what are the best way people can reach out to you and know more about your book? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So uh, uh, two ways. I am uh, at Pseudoroom, P-S-E-U-D-O-R-O-O-M. Uh, that's my personal um, handle and that's on Twitter and Instagram, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Pseudoroom.com is my folio uh, and my speaking engagements and my, my written pieces. Uh, so to, that's one way to engage. The other one is my book um, at the, uh, the culture book, uh, the underscore uh, culture book is my uh, handle for the book on Instagram and social media. And then uh, the dash culture book.com uh, is uh, the book's website in and of itself. All right, Justin, uh, best of luck for you for your book. And thanks a lot for coming on to the show. Thanks, Rohit. I appreciate the, the opportunity. And this was a great chat. Thanks for listening to the Life Self Mastery podcast, where we teach you how to start and grow your online business. For more information, visit Rohit's blog at www.lifeselfmastery.com.